Amen. I know we all would say amen to that. We're needy people. I mean, say you have a need this evening. Amen. I'm a needy person. You know, the answer's here tonight. The answer's here for every need of every person in this room. If somehow that we can just move ourselves aside and just let the Lord just bring us into that secret place. Amen. Just you and Him. How many say, Lord, I want you to speak to me like that? Amen. Amen. We've all come and from all over the place and this is the first night and I know we're tired. And God bless all the counselors and all of you that took your time off away from the job. One day, amen, many of these young people will, if time lasts, step into that place and, and they'll have the same burden that you have. As that what, that's what we like to see. But God bless you tonight and I just trust that we can all just join ourselves together in harmony with the word of God that it can have full effect you say amen to that amen Amen. want to thank brother Tim God bless you brother for the invitation to be here it's always an honor amen to speak to young people I know when preachers preach to you sometimes that thought may go through your mind just real fast he's mean or something like that but uh, real fast but we're on your side we're here for you And we love you. Amen. And we know that God, if we can love you, how much more does God love you? Amen. Amen. So God bless you, man. And we just trust that the Lord will have, amen, his way in these services. We want to say we're looking forward to, amen, Brother Andrew ministering, amen, in the morning. And I know that the Lord's just going to do wonderful things for us. Amen. Amen. Let's just bow our heads for a word of prayer. Amen. Our gracious Heavenly Father. We want to say we love you and thank you, Lord, that we can spend this time together, Lord, in this weekend with this camp. Louisiana Dry Creek, a special place, Fathers. It's a youth camp, but Lord, it's even more than that. It's a place that you've come and you've done so many wonderful things over the years. We pray that you bless all the workers, bless Brother Tim, that burden that's on their heart that we know that comes from you. And I pray that this evening, this services, will be another special time in the presence of God. We believe that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're not a dead God. You're looking for somebody to believe. And if we can lay aside our thoughts, lay aside the things that's happened to us. Oh, Lord, it's sometimes so hard to do so. But God, just I pray you give them special grace tonight. Lord, you know, Lord, the hearts of the people and what they have need of. And we're only men, Lord. And you give us thoughts, Lord. And we just ask, Lord, that these words will be words in due season. We ask, Lord, you anoint my lips, anoint the ears of the hearer. All that's said and done will be for your name's honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, the sixth chapter. We're going to read the first eight verses. 
I want to title this this evening, Let This Generation Rise Up. Let this generation rise up. We're speaking to a generation that Satan will tell you that you're worthless. We've never had a time in, in history where we have more grown-up children living at home, living with their parents. The culture and the age has made it so. But you're not worthless. You have something to offer. 2,000 years ago, at this, around this time, a young man made a decision to give up his life. And it wasn't an easy decision. It wasn't something he wanted to do. He wanted to go on and live his life with his disciples. Spend the rest of his time teaching and, and doing good. But he made a decision because he came for a purpose. And if God can, can do something to you to show you that you also have a purpose. You're not worthless. God has a plan for your life. But that plan has to be put in action by the Holy Spirit. You can't control it. Amen. So he made that decision. He said, not my will, but time be done. And he went through the horror of Calvary, but he rose again. How many believe that? Amen. Amen. And they tried to cover it up. They still try to cover it up. Amen. But we are proof of his victory at Calvary. The first verse in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here I am I, send me. Amen. Here am I, send me. Amen. You can be seated. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You love the Lord? 
I want to talk about the importance of taking your position in the kingdom of God. These meetings are always something special to me in the sense that we have before us this evening a crop of young people. But yet we know that we have no guarantee of tomorrow. For we know that here we have no continuing city. But you have all the potential of life laying before you. And I trust that in these meetings that many will find their life purpose and their calling. By God meeting us in such a way that your life is changed. And you know it's been changed. Because God wants to bring you to the center of his purpose, to the center of his will. He's trying to bring you there. That's why we have meetings like this. God is trying to bring us to the center of his will. Maybe there's something in your life that needs dealing with in order for God to bring you there. There are many, many examples that we have in the scripture where a person's calling seemed to be a missed opportunity and would never be fulfilled. A man like Moses. I mean, he had all the intelligence of the word. He knew his calling, but yet his fire hadn't been lit. He hadn't been quickened. And with all he knew and with all he'd been taught, he was still a failure. So he went about with his own, with his own ambition. He was married. He had children. He's out on the backside of a desert. And, but yet God never forgot him. Even though God hadn't spoken to him for 40 years, God hadn't forgot him. And Moses, the vision was, was lost in his mind. He said, well, somebody else is going to fulfill that position. But you know, nobody else could fulfill it. Amen. And nobody else can fulfill a position of somebody that God has ordained to take that place. And one moment in the presence of the pillar of fire, a personal experience with God changed the course of that life and brought them to the center of God's will. Some were changed so drastically like Paul who thought he was already serving God. Amen. But when he met the pillar of fire, he was forever a different man. Paul said, amen. God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. He said, when it came time to reveal his son in me. Well, he was already learned in the scripture. He already, amen. He was a very zealous man. He was persecuting the church, doing what he thought was the will of God. And his, his walk and his ambition was going totally opposite to what God had called him for. No doubt in this room I'm speaking to people like that. Paul had something important to do. He had to write a big portion of the New Testament. He had to preach the gospel, be a messenger of the church. So may this be what happens to, the, to you. Though you're not called to write the Bible, where that place has already been taken, but without you, the Bible will be incomplete. I, I just want to take my time. I got my watch on a timer. I have no idea what that means. But it will remind me. But I won't tell you how long I set it for. The prophet said that many people, some people go to church with their mind already made up before they go. And they say, well, if certain things are said or something is against their idea, well, they just get up and, and they walk out. They simply will not stand there because they've already got their own idea. 
And he said, that's the very reason that Jesus wasn't understood when he came to the earth. If they would have only looked into the word of God instead of their tradition of that day, they would have known he was a son of God. Because the Bible plainly declared his full coming and he came in the full revelation of the word. He said in each generation reveals him in the full revelation that is allotted for that time. This generation must reveal Jesus Christ. That's the revelation of him that's promised in the word. It must be revealed to this generation. So then what is our responsibility? Our responsibility is to reveal God in the revelation of the hour that he's come. That's not debatable. It's not something we sit down and and, and we talk about and say, well, maybe it's this way or it's that way. It's the way God said it. The way God said it, nobody can take it out. No matter what they come up with, no matter what kind of idea they might say, if God said it, that's the way we got to believe it. Nobody has a right to add to or take from. Nobody has a right to speak against the purpose that God has placed in your life. Because if God placed it there, man can't change it. Now, you may, you may feel small and insignificant and looking at all the people that's gathered here. You may feel like it. You may not even be singled out in these meetings. But God has his eye on you. We're scripturally taught. We know that we are, if we're part of him, we've been predestinated in Christ Jesus, chosen in him before the foundation of the world, and according to the purpose of the will of God. Then we also know that nobody can take your place. You're thought of, you're spoke of, and now you must be manifested. So your position in life is an important position. This meeting is important. God pre-planned this meeting. He knew who would be here. He knew where each person would sit. He knew about the rain. He knew about the decision you'd have to make in your hotel. Is it, is it going to be worth it if the, flood, if, the, if the roads are flooded? Should I come to church? Should I sit in the hotel? He knew all those thoughts. And he knew who would come. He knew what you would wear. And you, may, you may not understand that. You say, I, I, amen, I, amen. I believe God, he's, he's omniscient. He knows all things. But you may not understand. He pre-planned you to sit in that chair you're sitting in. He knew the thoughts that would be in your mind. He knew the things you've went through in the last days. He knows the pressure you're under. You might say, Brother Danny, that's kind of scary if, if God is God. No, no, that's not scary. That's how much God's involved in your life. I wanted to say this this evening. God is not standing off somewhere as an impersonal bystander with his arms folded watching you go through what you're going through. No, no. Amen. He's involved in your life. I said he's involved in your life. And listen to this. The prophet said his very existence is for his own. 
You see, then Brother Danny Wise, he stood back and watched what I have went through. That ain't up for me to tell you. That's up for God to tell you. But I just want to tell you, he's not an impersonal bystander. Is Isaiah's world has just been turned upside down. The man that he's looked to, the man that he's called his hero, the king who has greatly influenced Judah in a way not seen since the time of Solomon, has died. Or he's on the course of dying. But it wasn't the death of Uzziah so much that has turned his world upside down. But rather it was the actions of this king that he's admired so much and he's leaned upon. And, and the prophet described it this way. And I want you to bear with me as, as we go walk through this. And I trust, amen, that amen, you're not too tired to, to sit there. Brother Bram said that Isaiah fought. What must I do? Uzziah is dead. And I've leaned on his arm. And now that he's gone, what will I do? Life itself seemed to be gone from Isaiah. So what did that young prophet do when things fell apart in his life? He went to the temple. He went there to pray and he, and he fell at the altar and he began to cry out. And Brother Branham said that sometimes... God lets the very props be knocked out from under us. Sometimes he lets sickness strike us. He lets disappointments hit us. He lets heartaches grab us. Sometimes he does that. And he said, now listen to this and be wise enough not to miss it. He said he does it so that we will be influenced by the gospel. He said, don't be stupid enough to walk away from it. Uzziah is a mighty king, and I want you to understand this as, as the Lord had laid this on my heart some time ago as I was preparing for these meetings. Amen. And, and you know, it's not that we lack material or anything to say. That's not what it is. But you want to say the right word, and you want to say it in the right season because God knows who he's talking to. Amen. Men, uh, it's not about us. It's about you. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. And so the Lord had laid this upon my heart, and as I begin to think of this king, as Brother Branham described him, as the scripture describes him, he said he's, he was a mighty king, and what made him mighty was he was raised in a godly home. He had a godly father that raised him, him and his, his mother raised him in a godly home. Yet, we find out in the scripture that his father, amen, served God, but yet his heart was not entirely right with God. And now here's a king, amen, this young man that uh, uh, he, he comes to the throne at the age of 16. Can you imagine what kind of impact that, that a, a, a young man like that would have on the young people? Here's a king. He, he's ascended to the highest order of, of the kingdom as far as, as rulership. And he's, he's ruling now, he's, he's ascending, but not only that, he's, he's wise and he's seeking the counsel of, of a prophet by the name of Zechariah. And God began to prosper him, he's a mighty king. And the prophet said what made him a great king is that he ignored popular opinion. 
and he did what was right. So he wasn't a man that, uh, that, 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 would, that would follow the peer pressures. He wasn't a man that would let counselors lead him astray from what he thought was the right thing to do according to the word of God. Amen. And that's the way God wants us to be. He don't want us to be swayed by public opinion or popular opinion or try to follow the course of this culture and this life. He don't want your ambitions to be, in sh- be shaped by culture. The Bible says as long as Uzziah sought God, the Lord made him prosper. Now, according to Brother Branham, Isaiah is friends with this king. And this king would invite him to the palace. Amen. And using Kentucky English, he said they were chums. I guess that's Kentucky English. Well, it's English. Amen. And so, according to Jewish tradition, it is supposed that Isaiah was part of the royal household. But either way, Brother Branham said they were friends. And Isaiah's friend is the king. And when he prospered, He went forth and he made war against the Philistines, breaking down the walls of the cities, building garrisons in the area. He brought the Ammonites underneath him. A sworn enemy brought him under tribute. And the Bible said the fame of his name spread all the way to Egypt and abroad. He built towers of defense in the wilderness and in Jerusalem. He built towers... And wells, because he loved farming. His whole kingdom was prospering. Because he sought the Lord. He was a man of war. He was a man of invention. He invented invented, uh, cannons on the wall that would throw stones and throw arrows long distance. He had an army. The Bible said they were leaders of the army were mighty men of valor. And the Bible says when they made war, they made it with mighty power. And I like that. For if we're going to do anything for the Lord, if we're going to do anything tonight, let's do it with all our might. Let's not sit here with one eye on the door, but let's have our attention focused so that God can reap a harvest in this meeting. You know, I want to say God wants to reap a harvest. Let's already, make the, let's already make the declaration before the meeting begins. God wants to reap a harvest. He wants to heal the sick among us. He wants to deliver the captive among us. He wants you to have a personal experience with God. Let's already make our intentions clear. I have come. I have a need. I'm going to pull from God what I have need of. There'll be great victories in this room before the services are over. Why? Because God is going to reap the harvest. It's not the preacher. It's God. But he needs you to participate in order to reap it. Bible said his fame spread far Because he was marvelously helped until he was strong. 
But when he was strong, his heart became lifted up to his destruction. I wanted to say this. You see, it wasn't, it wasn't the prophet that was the problem. It wasn't even a counselor. It was his heart. It would have been fruitless to, to try to spread blame around and say, well, so-and-so did this or this happened to me. It was his heart that got lifted up. And we want to go on this a little bit because the Bible says his heart was lifted up in pride and he intruded into an office that wasn't for him. And there are boundaries that you can't go beyond And in his power, he forgot his place. You know, Satan watches for opportunity. And he waited until this man's influence was at his peak. And then he tempted him to go where he should not. You know, it wasn't that, it wasn't that, amen, Satan was just trying to destroy Isaiah. But he knew the power of that fall. And the destruction of the fall of that man that all this generation that looked upon him and they they followed him and they they were proud of what God was doing in their revival. Amen. It was a revival comparable to the old days. Amen. You can look back and say he's the same in this generation that he was in that generation. Look how he's, and they begin to follow this man. You look at the way this Mighty king used his influence. He used his influence in a way that it brought a division and brought a stumbling block before the people. And that moment, that one moment, they entered into the temple into a place that he should not have went. It was enough to take his reign as king and end it with words like this. Never have you seen such a chapter where a man reigned so powerfully and ended so weakly. He wasn't dead. He should never have ended like that. A man that's raised right. A man that has the message of the hour. Somebody help me. We're not called to end weakly. In fact, we have a promise of the scripture that says, Amen to him that overcometh. I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and sat down. Jesus said, I overcame as a young man. Don't use your age as an excuse. But you say 33 is not young. Well, it is if you're looking back at it. Amen. And I'll tell you, it was young. Amen. It was young to those Pharisees. It was young to the people around him. Here's a young man, amen, that gave up his life. and Amen. And I'll tell you, if that young man, amen, could stand and say, you can overcome, then that means he's expecting to reap the harvest of his voice. How can a man end so weakly? Amen, that when he went with the incense from the altar. Amen. There wasn't the, the only valiant men in Israel were not in the army. The Bible said there were some valiant priests that went in after that man. 
They went in after that man and said, you're not allowed to be in here. This is not your position. You're out of your place. Not everybody can be in the priesthood. But his power brought him to a place he thought he could go wherever he wanted. The Bible said he became angry. Right at the moment of his anger, the leprosy rose up in his face. Not only did the priest see it, he saw it himself. He felt it come and he runs out of the temple. Can you imagine the end of this king? But the Bible said they removed him from his reign and his son took over. And the Bible said that when he died, he died a leper and he wasn't buried in the king's sepulcher, but they put him in the king's field. And the last words of this king, the last words of this king that says he is a leper. Notice this great king, he is a leper. Now, the star of Isaiah's life that has shown over his life all those years, and he was caught up in the power in the influence of Uzziah's personality. And I hope you young people will follow me. You know, someone else's personality, someone else's spirit can overshadow yours until you're dormant. Someone else's life can so influence yours, you begin to seek to please that person. Maybe, maybe you're even unconsciously doing it. You're trying to live up to what that person is. Even when it comes to preachers. People would admire a certain type of ministry and they seek to emulate that ministry by their actions and by their manner of speaking. Now, I wanted to say when you do that, you're out of the will of God. And your ministry is certainly not as effective as it could be. For God has designed every person to be different than anybody else. For God is a God of variety. Look around the room. Does everybody look the same? Hey, man, we got young people, we got old people, we got middle-aged people, we got thin people, we got, we got people. <laughs> See, that was nice. Yeah, can you, can you believe I used to get into size 28? <laughs> yeah, we got people. We got variety. Everybody's a variety. Why? Because God wants to display the spirit of Christ through every variety. You don't need every preacher to get up here and to act like Brother Tim or Brother Timothy, amen, or Brother Danny or, or some other brother. Lord have mercy. You don't, have, you don't have to emulate somebody else to be what God wants you to be. Man, neither do you young people have to try to live up to the standard of the clique or somebody else, the pressure. I'm coming home on that. Brother Branham said, a sinner would come to the altar and say, Brother Branham, I want you to pray for me. I want to be good. But he said, will you pray for me? And then he'll go back to his seat. 
The next night I asked how many wants to be saved and he stands up and he says, you want to be saved, young man? Same boy. And he said, yes, sir. He says, well, why don't you get saved? He said, I don't know. He said, well, he said, what it is, the devil is holding that boy. That's all. He wants to do right. But there is a spirit, there is a power that won't let him do right. Now just follow me because this is, may may this set the tone for the meeting, what God wants to do for you. He said God can't save you because he's already done it. The only thing you have to do is accept it. It's already done. I wasn't saved 20 years ago. I was saved 1,900 years ago. But 20 years ago, I received it and I accepted it. If I hadn't, the first sin I would have done, God would have wiped me off the face of the earth. Because he said he would and he has to keep his promise. I was healed 1,900 years ago, but I've got to accept it. The only thing that kept me from being saved when I was 12 years old is because a spirit hung over me. A devil saying, wait a little while longer. Well, that's the reason you wasn't saved when you became the age of accountability. A spirit, you got in a crowd and it hovered over you and it kept hanging over you. You wanted to do right. There's not a man in his right mind but what wants to do right. But there's something that won't let you do right. He said, that's the devil. Now, here it is. You get ready. He commissioned his church to cast them devils out. Now, say it again. He commissioned his church to cast them devils out. He said, in my name, they shall cast out devils. How many still believes in that? You're not going to heal anybody, but you're going to cast the devil away from them so they can accept the healing that he's already done. Amen. Well, you know, people accuse Brother Branham and say, well, he, he claims to be a healer. Well, that's a lie. They just prove they've never, ever actually got into the word and tried to study it. Brother Bam never claimed to be a healer. Amen. Amen. But he said, amen, I'm representing one that already has healed you. Amen. Amen. He had a ministry that raised the faith of the faith of the people up. Amen. To such a place that he said, Jesus Christ done more in my ministry than he did in his own. You know why? Because this is the end time. Jesus spoke more of this time. Amen. When he, when he was here than he did of his own ministry. This is an important hour. Preachers stand on the platform, preach the gospel, devils scatter. Should I say it again? Preachers stand on the, stood on the platform and preach the gospel, devils scatter. Open your eyes. I'm a preacher. I'm on the platform. Here's preachers. Now what's the next part? I said, what's the next part? Say it louder. You better begin to tell that devil that's hung over you. Say, listen, this is your last hour. This is your last time. 
This is my meeting. It's not your meeting. Are you with me? Let me say it again. This is your meeting. This is not the enemy's meeting. This is your meeting. God has called you to this place. God wants to talk to you. Now the man come to the altar under conviction to say, I want to get saved. He, he never saved a man. He cast the devil out. And the man got saved. The man just came and accepted his salvation. Same thing by divine healing. You sick people here, how many sick we have here? I didn't, I didn't read that. I'm asking. Wonderful. We're in a meeting and we got one sick person. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Now, how many people need to tell the truth? Hey, there's a spirit hanging over you that won't confess it. Amen. He said, but if I admit I'm sick, then I, then I, then I mean I won't have faith. Well, wait a minute. You've got to confess you're sick in order to be healed. You pray for, pray. Brother Tim, will you come pray for me? I'm, I'm, just pray for me. That, I, that I'm well. But, no, Brother Ryan said, if you've got cancer, he said, it's cancer. You've got to identify the devil so that it can scatter. The only thing that keeps you from being well is a spirit hanging over you that won't let you fully go out yonder and believe God's promise that he done it. Now that's my commission. That's what God gave me. It's what he gave every gospel preacher who will believe the power and authority to break that spirit. I believe with all my heart that every demon power that's in here at this minute is already broken. We don't, we don't like that. You know, it's like, well, Brother Danny, don't get too involved in this. He's just a little uncomfortable here. I tell you, you're a supernatural people. You're a supernatural. The spiritual part of you is greater than the natural part. And the supernatural should speak louder to you than the natural part. And that's why meetings are designed, amen, that the supernatural, not learning, not just learning, not just intelligence, but the supernatural that can do something you never thought of. Do you know many of the prayers you pray are, as God said, listen, I, I could give you a prayer much greater than that. You're consumed with your materialism. You're consumed with your wants. But them aren't your needs. I can do far more for you than that. He said, I believe every demon power is in here at this minute is already broken. I believe every sick person here right now feels a lot different. If that's right, raise up your hand, you who are sick. See there, that, what's the matter? The devil broke away from you. He has to because faith cometh by hearing, hearing of the word Jesus Christ died for you. Amen. You can be healed right now to fulfill that commission. You people that's sick are coming here that way while that spirit is upon you, while you feel the spirit of God. I want you to come that you might fulfill my commission. So you see, if you're sick, come and fulfill the commission. If you need salvation, come and fulfill the commission. 
Maybe as we're speaking of Isaiah, this is your description today. What we've read here of the prophet, something won't let you do right. But you have the right to come forward and receive what's already been done. Brother Branham's life, his calling was made real to him at a very young age. But it doesn't mean that he didn't try to do the wrong thing. Man, how many is familiar with his life story? Right. At the age of seven, he's carrying buckets of water for his father's moonshine still. You see, this prophet was very transparent about his life and the problems in his family. He wasn't proud of that history, but he said, I have to say what it was in order for you to understand. He wanted to go fishing. His buddies were down fishing somewhere. They talked about it, and he was crying and feeling sorry for himself, carrying this water. And he said he had stubbed his toe, and he put a corn cob under his, his toe, and it said it stuck up like a turtle as he walked through the dust. He said, and I'm squalling as I'm going and carrying these buckets. He said, I come by this big sycamore tree. He said, I'm going, I'm here. I'm hearing this wind, whirlwind blowing. And he said it was a, <laughs> that woke you up, didn't it? That was a bad whirlwind, to be honest with you. <laughs> Let's try it better. <sighs> well, anyway, it caught his attention. You see, because God was going to catch this young boy's attention because he wanted to say something to him. He wanted to set his mind in a path. He said, as they come to the tree, he said, it blew harder. I don't know, maybe they blew like that in Indiana, Kentucky, wherever it was. He said, it blew harder. He said, and it caught my attention. I said, I looked up there, and there's this whirlwind just whirling up in the tree. He said, and a deep voice spoke out of that. and said, don't smoke or drink or defile your body in any way. For there's a work for you to do when you get older. He said, it scared me to death. Well, what would it do to you? And he ran, jumped in his mother's lap and just crying. And, and she thought he'd been bit by a snake. And she's looking everywhere and says, Mommy, there's a, boy, there's a man up in that tree. Yeah. He thought he was just having a nervous breakdown. But God had spoken to the boy. As he got, got older and began to talk about his attention turned to girls. Amen. He's the age of 15. And he's interested in this girl. He said she had eyes like a dove. Had a neck like a swan. That's a long neck. <laughs> and black eyes. But it caught his attention. He was in love. And he didn't have the, the stick roll. They just... Like Brother Tim gave, they went on a double date. He said he had 20 cents, bought ham sandwiches and some Cokes. He said, and he comes, 
he, he's taking the Cokes, the empty bottles back into the store. And he said, when he's coming out, he said, there my little dove was smoking a cigarette. He said, it liked to crush me. You know, no doubt as a, as a young man, he's thinking this is good, could be the girl I'm going to marry. He thought he was in love with her. Did she come out? Now here's some peer pressure. And she offered him a cigarette. He said, I'm sorry, I don't smoke. And she says, what, you don't smoke? She began to mock him. He says, no, ma'am, I, I don't smoke. She says, you big sissy. Peer pressure. Just like you girls, you begin to hang in a certain crowd and you watch as the, the mode of dress begins to change and somebody begins to set the tone of the crowd. Becomes a peer pressure for you. And pretty soon your excuse for doing what you're doing is, well, so-and-so's doing it. Has nothing to do with 1 Corinthians 11 or, or what he said that, amen, to wear clothes like a man is an abomination and so forth. Has nothing to do with the word. It's peer pressure. Said, you big sissy. Well, let me just stop a minute. Well, Satan don't want me to, to stop. I've never seen a time where we've let the standards so far so, so much down. Our boys are wearing shorts. Aren't you glad you're tired? Because it's not just the girls, it's the boys. You let the standards down. You say, well, no, Brother Bam said it, but where's the word for it? Amen. There's another form of sissy. Somebody who's ashamed of the word of God. But they're not ashamed to post themselves all over the internet. You call yourself sons of God. I know this ain't popular, but listen, there is a standard that goes with the message. And the message is not William Branham's. The message is the promise of the scriptures made fresh for this hour that he sent the prophet to show you. Yeah, it is wrong. He said, she said, big sissy. He said, sissy, sissy, sissy. He said, give me that cigarette. Give me it. He might have been green at that time. He took that, he said, I took, and I said, I went to light it, and when I went to light it, this is going to be hard. <laughs> that's a pitiful whirlwind. We've got to do better sound effects than that. But that's all that God had to do was to him to be reminded, amen, that there was a commission in his life. And no matter how hard the peer pressure is, God says you have it in you to rise up to that commission that I have called you for. You may be under pressure now. You may be mocked. But God has the ability to raise you up. Let me say, let this generation, let this generation rise up in this hour. 
you dare make standards just a position of a church? There's word for it. And our God is a holy God. He ran home. Peer pressure. He lost a girlfriend over it. How many young men are willing to sever a relationship for a closer walk with God? He repeated again when he was with his father, sitting down there by the water. So his relative took that flask and he handed him Flash said, here, Billy, take a drink. And Brother Branham said, no, sir. He said, he said I, I don't drink. The man said, you mean a Branham and you don't drink? Yeah. And his daddy said, yeah, I raised one sissy. Now it's his father. I've raised one sissy. And I said, he said, give me that bottle. He said, everything that was in me was determined to do it. I'm not even going to try it again. <laughs> Amen. But then that whirlwind sound. It came again. Just as he went to take it. Give me that bottle. You know what? You need to be reminded. You need to be reminded of what your calling is. Brother Branham needed to be reminded when he was about to take a step away from what God had called him for. He needed to be reminded, this is what I have called you to. God was watching over his word to fulfill it. Maybe tonight your life is dormant. But God is speaking to your heart. He has before. Maybe you've resisted him. Maybe you've allowed something to hang over you, but God wants you to realize what's here now and what he'll do for you now. Say the word now. 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 You know, see, there's a spirit that hangs over people. Wait a while longer, but God says, now is the day of salvation. Well, I'll wait till I'm out of school and I've got my career fixed and then I'll start being a faithful uh, believer. Now is the day of salvation. Let the church rise now. Very familiar scripture. But what the bride is standing on, or, or, or quote rather, what the bride is standing on is the revelation of the mystery of this hour. And hell is against this truth. He's against the revelation of this mystery. You know, we've, we've heard uh, this message has gone into the dirt and we've heard every excuse to leave it. We've heard everything against it. But to the bride in this room, this mystery is her stand. She's not ashamed of it. She's not ashamed of the life of the prophet. She's not ashamed of the message. She's not ashamed of what is done for her. Amen to her. This gospel is the power of God unto salvation. This gospel is the power of God to them that receive the word to make them sons. 
He said, but why do you hunger, church? Why do you thirst? It's the Father trying to reveal this mystery to you, but we let so many things get it out of us. You let your job, you let your wife, you let your husband, you let your children, you let the cares of the world, you let some pastor, you let somebody get it out of you. When you know down in your heart you're thirsting and hungry, God trying to reveal it to you, the revelation. So what is he talking about? Pressure. Pressure that causes you to lay dormant when God is trying to reveal this to you. And Isaiah's life was dormant. But his calling was to be a prophet. Prophets are born. They're not made. They're born with equipment in them just as every believer is born with the equipment in them to be a believer. Amen. With you, if you've got the seed of God in your life, all it needs is to be quickened into life. Made alive by the fire of God. But the leadership in Isaiah's life is wrong. And there is the impact of our lives on one another. We let relationships, we let circumstance conform our lives. There is pressure especially among the young, to be part of the crowd and to be accepted. In this pressure, Satan will try to cause you to make concessions. He'll cause you to surrender some values in order to stay a part of the crowd. And being a part of this crowd or being a part of this friendship has caused you to begin to experience and to want to experience what you see someone else experiencing. Maybe as a young person, you resent what you think are just rules that the parents made, wanting you to dress, wanting you to act a certain way, certainly in a way that the world would call oppressed. But brother and sister, we're in a spiritual warfare. This battle is between God And Satan. And you are the visible part of this battle. Where verdicts are made. Where stakes are claimed. And the sphere of your influence. Has increased. Because of the age we live in. We live in an information age. People become emotional. Over the words follow. Follow. Unfollow, friend, unfriend, block. No doubt some of you hung out of church because you were blocked or unfriended. Digital influence is a real thing. Amen. In fact, digital influence is the downfall of many people that claim the message. It's a powerful tool in the hands of Satan. And it's a powerful tool that will cause you to lay dormant in the presence of God. Go down the road next time and watch people. I almost did it, but I'm not going to. I mean, drive down the road and watch people. And that influence out there is so great. What about in here right now? Where is your mind in tune with? 
Digital influence is real. People, people claim emotional scarring over these things. They become emotional about it. They're hindrances in the house of God. People in the house of God of this age don't like to be challenged. Our culture has taught us to be self-absorbed. Selfish. This know also in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Anytime people get their feelings hurt, they're the the victims. Anyone who dares to challenge them and make them feel bad about themselves is an oppressor and a victimizer and a bigot. But I got a message for you. See, this is the problem with church. Well, he just preaches hard, or this one's this way, and this one's that way. And we, we all have our own style, the one things that we like. Yeah. You see, this message is not adaptable to our ways. Yeah. This message is about deliverance. Yeah. And I got news for you in this age. That feeling of discomfort you have when you're listening to a sermon. And you're saying, well, I'm a victim here. No, there used to be such a thing called a conscience. Where people were convicted by the Spirit of God that moved them away from that Spirit that would hung over them. Now the Spirit has such a grip in people's life. Well, we're just victims and, and this and that. And oh, come on, church. Are you gonna meet God as a victim or as a victor? Hey man, this is about victory. This is about overcoming. Man. Brother Brandon said this. Many times a good life has been completely wrecked by your associates. Show me your company and I'll tell you who you are. Young people, I challenge you. You want to show me your company? Well, we got to go through all your hashtags. Do you want to go down that line? You see, our associates is what corrupts us. He said it's an old proverb, but it's the truth. Are you hanging with me? Associate with people who believe God. He said, if your children run across the street to little Oswald over here, he's a nice little boy, but be careful who he is. Find out what his daddy is. Find out what his mama is. They may be a hater of the gospel. They may have everything projected into little Oswald. You let your little boy or girl associate like that, the first thing you know, here come up and here be like little Oswald. Watch your associates. Keep your company clean. Don't go in the pool room with that boy because you think you can win him to Christ. You can't win him to Christ in the church or at your home or sitting in your car. You'll never do it in the pool room because you're on the devil's ground. Stay away from it. Separate yourself. Come out from among them. Be ye separate, saith the Lord, and then I'll receive you. God is looking for somebody who's got the courage to stand. Now, there's a reality in this chapter that we want to become a reality in this meeting. Just as it did for Isaiah. 
a dying king, something that shook Isaiah to his innermost being. And maybe you're here tonight, and maybe you've been shaken. Maybe your world has fallen apart, and words are not enough to help. Maybe you're sick. Maybe the devil is pouring on fear and anxiety. Maybe you're trapped in a situation, and every time you try to rise up out of it, you get beat down again. But it was a desperation of the moment that caused Isaiah to go into the temple. And when he goes into the temple, he's given a vision of the living God. He goes in, he's weak and he's discouraged. And no doubt the situation is on everybody's mind, the fall of this king. But something happens that brings a revival in his life. Young people, the spirit of God is not something that can be educated into you. It's not something that you can listen to enough tapes to or hear enough sermons of. Amen. To receive the Holy Ghost. It's more than that. Amen. The Holy Ghost is something that's predestinated into you. Amen. Who predestinated? Almighty God did. Your experiences with God cannot be educated. God predestinated them by his foreknowledge and by his hands. Yeah. You remember, you go all the way back to the beginning and when we begin the service, God knew you would be here. He knew what you would wear. He knew where you would sit. Amen, amen. He knew, amen, what I would preach. He knew what songs would be sung. And he'd also know where you're at in your life. Amen. We call this predestination, pre-planning. Glory. Isaiah went down to the temple and he said, Lord God, I know you're God. And I've been looking at the wrong thing. Can I just talk to you for just a moment? Have you been looking at the wrong thing? Maybe even this evening, you're sitting here and your world has been shook. Maybe, amen, as we begun this scripture reading, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, he wrote that for a reason. You wanted to know this is in that time, amen, I didn't run away. Amen, I went into the temple of God. Let me tell you, you know why Isaiah was such an important part of the plan of God. God needed that man because in him is trapped, amen, things that God has to bring out of his life. That when he, amen, gets on fire for God, he's going to begin to write. And his book is going to be 66 chapters. He's going to write the entire Bible. Amen. And ministries are going to come after that and begin to use what he said. Come on. And Brother Brown said his influence would go on and on and on and influence millions. But before that, he's dormant. Because his eyes is on something else. What are your eyes on this evening? I want you to watch this. He said it was then God showed him a vision. His eyes had been on a fallen king. His world has been rocked. But now, amen, God says, I'll show you a vision. Let me tell you, Isaiah went in there in his weakness. And maybe you've come here this evening. You've come in your weakness. Yet in our weakness, God clothed himself with visibility. That God would make himself visible to a man who is in a desperate strait. But God knew what he was going to do with that man. 
Don't you think God knows what he's going to do with your life? Amen, young men, what will your stand do? Amen, if you stand and let yourself be influenced by the word of God, what will it begin to do in your circles? Come on, church. What about you, young ladies? What will it do when you allow yourself to be influenced by the word of God? What will it do in your circles? Will you lose friends? Come on. God wants to give you, amen, a vision of his presence. There's a reputation in the name of Jesus. I said there's a reputation in the name of Jesus. Amen. God didn't need to, but he made his reputation among men. And he made it known to men. And among men, his reputation was made, and he made him among sinners. Look at the reputation God has gained. He is known as the God that ruined Egypt. He overthrew their armies. He's the God that opened the Red Sea and the children went across on dry ground. Amen. And the ground that Israel crossed on became trouble for the Egyptians. You understand that the word God gives you becomes trouble for others. What God does for you, amen, may deliver you, but it becomes trouble for others. He's the God, amen, that provided sweet water out of a bitter and caused two million to drink water from a rock. He's the God that fed two million daily from the heavens and led them by the pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. Think of it. They're in the desert. Think of the heat. Think of the sun. But he was their cloud to give them shade. He was their light in the darkness. Their shoes never wore out in 40 years and their feet didn't swell. Neither did their clothes wear out. These are small things that are big things. Especially to us. He equipped them for the journey that they were in and he kept them equipped. Those were natural things. But in the spiritual sense, our raiment is the righteousness of Christ. It never wax old. It never wears out. It never decays. It's an everlasting righteousness because it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. And what I described to you was just 40 years of work. God did that in 40 years. Think of the reputation he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. He was a man in a body of flesh. He was Melchizedek. He brought life to the dead bodies of Abraham and Sarah. And he was the provided ram in the bush. And we get word here, overlook us. His name is his reputation. Think of the reputation he's made with you. I think of the reputation he's made with me and my family and what he's done for me. He made a reputation to us. He showed us he was not the, amen, he was not three gods. He was not split up into a trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. But God, when he come time to separate my family. Amen. I'm not here to bash a prophet. I'm here to stand with him. I have a goodly heritage. I have something to preach. I have something to stand for. We say, amen, Danny, it wasn't William Branham's message. It was Jesus Christ. What do you think his message was? His message is Jesus Christ. Not Jesus Christ yesterday, Jesus Christ today. You want to keep him on a cross back there and say, well, he died for my sins. He did more than that. 
Amen. He died. He went to hell. Come on. He took your place in hell. He informed the powers of darkness. That's not my place in there. He's already done it there. Why not you let it soak in here? Glory. He made a reputation. When the pressure in my family got so great, my dad was causing all kinds of persecution on my mama, and he was telling us, don't believe what your mama believed. The persecution got so great, my mom went to my, my grandmother and said, are you sure this message is right? My grandmother said, let her voice rise in the judgment. My grandmother said, there's nothing else that I know of. It has to be right. She asked Brother Branham in the question and answers. Said, Brother Branham, said, I have two daughters married to men in denominations. They're receiving uh, opposition. What should they do? Brother Branham says, stand fast and show your colors. For 10 years, my mother followed that. You don't tell me this message isn't real. You don't tell me it don't work in times of persecution and trial. You don't tell me it don't work in the time of your loneliness and in the time of your darkness. You missed it. It was never just about a man. But that man obeyed the call of God. He was faithful to that commission. Amen. Let us be faithful to our commission this afternoon. Let this generation rise up. If that generation could open the door for this generation, said, it is worth standing for. It is worth living for. Don't, don't go out and try to make an excuse for everything Brother Branham did. Live the word. Let your life be the vindication of the truth. Don't get worried about his reputation. Amen. The Bible says he made of himself no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Isaiah's world has been turned upside down. Because somebody has fallen in his world that he's looked up to. God said all along, your vision's been wrong, Isaiah. Let me show you a king that's so great. It'll move the temple that you come into. That you begin to hear with spiritual ears a voice, amen, of the angels calling, Holy! 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 And they're calling to one another, Holy! Oh, church, he's here tonight. Amen. Hear that voice of the angels calling. He's holy. He's holy. He said even the very posts of the temple begin to move at the presence of God. Let me tell you, when he came out of that temple, he wasn't talking about Uzziah. He was talking about the, the king, 
the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. But there had to come something out of that vision. There had to come something out of that vision. Amen. The angel took a coal of fire. And he flew to where he was at. And he laid it upon his lips. Amen. He says, your iniquity has been purged. Come on, church. Amen. God this evening. Amen. If you haven't lived for him. We got some Isaiah's in here. This is your night. Let the coal of fire. Amen. Purge you this evening. Because that's what you need to make this king real. Amen. Make this message real to you. Amen. When he was purged. Amen. He said, amen. Who go for us? Who will go for us? And he's cried out, here I am. Send me. You know, God is looking for somebody to respond to his voice. All it takes is him to become visible to you. Let's bow our heads. Brother Branham called Isaiah just a puppet for a king. When God touched him, his influence goes on. And I'm going to say it like Brother Branham said it this evening. Isaiah, where are you? Do we have any Isaiahs in this room this evening that want to have courage to stand up and say, God, I'm Isaiah? Do you have that courage? Lord, I need to stand up. I need to respond to the voice that is speaking to my heart. I've come to this camp in weakness. And now, Lord, clothe yourself in visibility that I'll see you here. I stand here in this room like Isaiah. And I'm asking you, let the coal of fire touch me tonight. Touch me tonight. Touch me tonight. Now is the day of salvation. You heard what was said earlier. That the commission of the church is to preach the gospel. And the devils begin to scatter. So that you can come forward and receive your need that you have need of. I don't need to tell you what to do. But if you want to come forward and have hands laid prone, we'll pray for you. There's no shame in it. We'll do it right here. But let's be honest with God. And let's mean it when we stand and say, God, I have stood for you. And I want you to be visible to me. I want the pressure in my life to be the pressure of the Holy Ghost. The pressure of the Holy Ghost.
I'm tired of living after the desires of someone else. I want the pressure of the Holy Ghost to be the pressure in my life. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Lord Jesus, here are your Isaiah's. They stood in your presence in this building. Lord, may this be the night that their course of their life changes. Lord, and they come to the center of what you've called them to do. The only way, Lord, it could ever be effective is, Lord, as if the fire of God quickens that seed that's in their life. Maybe they've come here and they've received some real blows and they've, they're laboring under something. But Lord, you know exactly where they're at. You're their deliverer tonight. You're their healer. You fill them, Lord, with your Holy Spirit because you're faithful to them. Lord, they've responded to your call. Will you respond to their stand? If you need the Holy Spirit tonight, why don't you just... Tell God, Lord, I need to be filled with your Holy Spirit in this presence, in this room. I'm sincere. I'm standing here, Lord, on this first night. I'm tired in my body, but I'm sincere in my heart. Fill me, Lord. Lord, it just seems like I go in my life from disappointment to disappointment. Could it be that you're trying to show me the center where I need to be? Jesus, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, as Isaiah came into the temple, Lord, his mind is full of grief and full of wondering what's happening now. I've, I've lost this influence and the one I've leaned upon, I feel empty. Where's my purpose? Within God, you came. The King of kings. The Lord of lords. Oh, Lord, and you're here. In Jesus' name, I pray, Father, amen, that your will will be done in their life for the glory of God. Every pressure... Everything that's labored against him, Lord, they say, I cast that aside to go forward so that the will of God may be done in my life. What is the will of God for you? If you've never accepted him, what is the will of God for you? Amen. The will of God is you'd repent, turn around, amen, and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For this promise, you, and you shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. For this promise is unto you and unto your children and to those that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. You're faithful, God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Draw me near.